Hello and welcome to episode 263 of Section 138. I will be your host once again uh, for this episode, Bryce and Posa Jacob. It's three straight where it's just you and I. Uh, an interesting three days in Houston, of course, this week. Uh, how are you doing? Tell you what, um, I'm happy now, but as we get deeper into this episode, I can tell you I will be less happy because this was just a not a good series, I think, for this team. It, it could have been a lot better, but... Uh, were some good things going on. Good team. He had some good performances, but definitely seems as if uh, they just completely fell off the rails towards the end of that. Yeah, definitely not the greatest three days in terms of how the series started and then, of course, how the series ended. Uh, and I'd just like to note as well, our usual host, Mark, again, was unable to join us. There is a chance, though, that he will be popping in for a few minutes in today's episode at some point. So we'll keep an eye out for that. But, of course, Jacob, you touched on it in terms of how it started and, of course, how this series ended. We will start with Game 1, of course, and this is pretty much the first blowout uh, loss for the Blue Jays this series in terms of a 9-2 loss to the Houston Astros. Kevin Gosman gets the ball, and usually... For the most part, of course, until pretty much this start, Kevin Gosman has been the only consistent starter on this team. But unfortunately, uh, this past Monday, he joins the trend of Jay starters having a difficult first inning. And that's when he allowed seven earned runs in that span. Um, you know, we... I guess I'll save it until you get you you get your thoughts on this. But basically, if you go back to the last episode, I asked you this in terms of, and I also mentioned the stat in terms of the first inning ERA, the second and the third inning ERA. The last time we recorded, it was around eight, and I believe after that start from Kevin Gosman, that first inning ERA went up to eleven. So I don't know what the issue is in terms of this team. Uh, in terms of the first inning, of course, it definitely went better in Game Two and Game Three when Bassett and Barrios pitched, but. Unfortunately, when the first inning goes rough for this team, going going down seven nothing um, in the after the first inning is definitely not ideal. So Kevin Gosman joins the trend on that. Uh, I guess you know wanted to get your thoughts on that, and of course how frustrating it might be for a, for a team to go down seven nothing basically after only hitting once in the lineup. It's definitely something that puts the team in an early disadvantage, and it's just some weird stat this year where it just it feels like a lot of these pitchers in this rotation have at least gone through this at least once. I, I think you just summed it up perfectly. At, at that point, the hitters were taken out of it. Like you were, you were down by a touchdown the second time you go out to to bat. And I mean, sadly, that's two days in a row. Toronto teams are out of it very early on in the game. <laughs> but I was looking at the at the plays for that game, and the Astros had a bad around inning. Like you look at it, uh, Mauricio Dubon singles, Alex Bregman flies out, Jordan Alvarez walks, Abreu doubles, Tucker walks, Pena gets on a catcher's interference. I'll just say it like I'm not worried about about their catchers. Their catch, it, whatever it happens every once in a while. I mean, I don't I don't think that there's any time that I can remember off the top of my head that I've seen anybody do that on the Blue Jays. But then you see Ukes uh, double, Myers homer, Maldonado strikes out, Dubois again, so that bat around uh, flies out. Like it, it was just a not a good uh, bottom of the first for the Blue Jays, and it's not even as if the defense let them down. I guess there was that catcher's interference, but it was just straight up pitching was was not getting what it needed to. And I heard Buck Martinez talk about maybe Kevin Gosman's tipping his pitches because that that splitter was not getting any swing and misses. And you can see it. Like you go back and you watch Blue Jays in 30 or whatever, every single pitch is laid off of with the exception of a couple. And then again, the fastball command, we've said that about Perios and Kikuchi, even Manola this season, pretty much everybody. When their fastball is not doing well, then any secondary pitch, it's automatically not going to be doing well just because it's like, well, you can't locate the easy pitch why are we going to swing at the pitch that we're supposed to swing and miss at and it definitely just was a brutal brutal way to start the game because like I said you're pretty much out of it and I mean 
other than that seven spot in the first, so the final score was nine to two. The Astros scored once in the third and then once in the sixth. Like, I'm not trying to say, oh, well, except for the first inning, the Blue Jays technically tied the Astros because no, that's not how it works. They obviously lost, but to be fair, like they were out of it very early on. And then it just, it was over from there. I mean, Christian Javier, I mean, over five innings, he, he didn't even like fully dominate. I mean, he had the five strikeouts, the two walks, three hits and, a, and an earned run. I know he's a good pitcher, but it's just, it was, it's one of those games where you're, you need, if you're going to be facing a good team and a good pitcher, you can't afford to have that type of thing. Cause big comebacks like that very rarely happen against, against this caliber of a, of a team. But at least they were able to you know, somewhat salvage this series. I mean, game two went a lot better, and then game three I don't even want to get into. But, well, I mean, we'll get into it eventually. But that was that was terrible. But in terms of Kevin Gosman, I'm not necessarily worried. I mean, Bouge signed him to that five-year deal for a reason, and he's been their best pitcher all season long. Like, he went a couple starts without giving up anything in terms of runs or just any type of hard contact. So I think he is slated to start as I just bring up the magnetic schedule, which for some reason I just have not put up. I just use it here, but I'm assuming he'll start against the White Sox. Either White Sox or the last game of the Yankees series. But It's uh, Sunday, yeah. Sunday? Okay, so yeah, against the uh, Yankees. Him and Manoa definitely, I think, will put up a, a show against the uh, Yankees, so not overly worried, but it is one of those things where you, the game was essentially just thrown away very early on. It was, and you made a very good point in terms of the lack of chase and the lack of swing and miss on the splitter. And of course, it's ironic because it was the Astros. It was it was in Minute Maid Park. Of course, no one's here to. I, uh, they were bashing those. No, I'm kidding. No one's here to accuse them of that. Of course, it's just it's ironic that out of all the times that we've seen that that was the team it happened to. But I mean, you're right though. Like when, if it was him tipping, or if it was just the Astros being very lucky in terms of their approach, because I mean, not. The fact that they weren't chasing at all to that splitter, I mean, that's pretty hard to do even if you're planning it uh, of how successful they are. So either they there was some sort of tipping or there was just a matter of really good luck from the Astros. Whatever it was, it worked uh, in terms of getting into Kevin Gosling early. We talked about that first inning. And then even afterwards, though, as much as you mentioned it a little bit, uh, Jacob, Kevin Gosling settled down. And he was able to get a couple of extra innings for this team before handing things off to the bullpen. Basically, that's very important, too. Uh, of course, for the beginning of the series where you're able to pretty much salvage the bullpen a little bit. So that's the good part about that. But I mean, you were talking about a lack of swing and miss from the um, and even chase from the splitter. There was 11 balls in play from his fastball. So a lot of people were, I mean, the Astros were t pretty much capitalizing on the uh, the fastball as well, and they weren't chasing at the splitter. So when the fastball was being thrown, they were hitting it very hard. But I mean, it was definitely important though that he was able to go a few extra innings after getting lit up like that. Um, it's tough to do, and it's really, you can definitely understand that there's, probably a change of approach if you're Kevin Gosman in terms of just pretty much scrapping any expectations you have for the start and pretty much just getting to that around that fifth inning mark uh, in terms of you know helping your bullpen in that part so it's definitely a, a tough spot to be in because I'm sure the last thing he wanted to do after that first inning was to continue to pitch I mean that's definitely hard to do after allowing seven run runs so credit to him for being able to do that there's not a lot of pitchers in this rotation maybe he might be the only one who was able to stay in a couple of extra innings because usually what we've seen this year in terms of guys start are struggling early on is it's a quick boot from them very early and of course that puts your spot or your bullpen in a very bad spot so that's the issue with that. And, of course, on the bright side offensively, I mean, Matt Chapman remains the hottest hitter on the team. He goes deep. Santiago Espinal, somebody who's had a slow start to the season that we've talked about a little bit, finally gets on the board as well. So I guess that's the early indication uh, or the 
the only good turnover offensively from that game. Um, I guess one thing I wanted to mention to you briefly, it's about the bullpen, of course. Uh, so in that first game, of course, Anthony Bass pitched, Zach Pop pitched. Zach Pop had another good inning. And of course, after that game, it was determined that he was going to be getting higher leverage situations going forward. And a part of that is also because of the struggles of Anthony Bass. Now, I don't know if we're, <laughs> I don't know if we're going to get into the whole... Uh, flight thing in terms of the popcorn I don't know if you want to get into that Jacob I'll allow that's a Jacob topic I'll allow you to comment if you want to but basically what I'm trying to say is that is just somebody in this bullpen that I've noticed who's had a really bad start I mean you look at his ERA it's over seven he's not getting any sort of production and effective uh, he hasn't been effective at all compared to what the pitcher was last year when the Jays got him so I don't know I guess rating your level level of concern about uh, Anthony Bass and of course it doesn't help anyone's case who was struggling in this bullpen uh, with Nate Pearson continuing to pitch well because guess what Jacob he had another start a couple days ago or another outing where he looked good and he's hitting 99 he's striking guys out it's only a matter of time until he's up here and both of us had that understanding so I guess just rating your level of concern about Bass and if you want to touch on the little popcorn incident it's your call <laughs> I don't even know what to say about the popcorn. That's like the, <laughs> the most random thing ever. Like, I saw a Six Buzz post about it, and it was, like, made to be a bigger deal. Like, whatever. I'm going to say my opinions for that because, I mean, I, I've seen both sides. I've seen people say, like, oh, it's not like she was uh, – his uh, family was unable to clean anything, but whatever. It was just kind of funny to see it, especially, like, how much popcorn was on the floor. Like, my dog could have eaten that in 30 seconds. But, um, <laughs> honestly, the bullpen – well, Anthony Bass specifically, I get, like, he – I mean, most of the bullpen hasn't looked that great. I mean, in game three, uh, Zach Pop and Adam Simber, both of them struggled. And I mean, you're looking at Anthony Bass. ERA is now up to 736 on the season, which, okay, fair enough. He's pitched a couple to I mean, he's pitched, you know, decent amount of times, pretty much in every series at this point. He's a, he's really struggling. I mean, I'm looking at earn runs, earn runs in three straight appearances, two uh, Tampa Bay, Detroit, Houston, two against the Angels, one against St. Louis. Like, it's it's not good. And, I mean, yeah, okay, he's only one home run and only three, I think, two or three walks this season. But if you're talking about high-leverage guys, like, that's what he, Zach Pop, Adam Simber, uh, all these types of guys came in to do last season, and they just kind of haven't done it. And, I'm, I mean, it is interesting that Nate Pearson is doing well. I mean, was it you or was it Mark that had the over-under at zero? I can't remember. I, me and you, but you and I had the over, Mark had the under at zero. Like he went okay, harsh. Yeah. yeah. And I, I don't know if that's going to age very well. Well, speaking of Mark, I see that he is in the waiting room. So I'll let him come in in a ah, few seconds. But uh, no, it. I don't know how you keep Nate Pearson down there anymore. Like you got to remember, this isn't 2020 where he had to stay there for a certain amount of time before they could get that sixth year, that extra year, whatever. But I don't see why they don't bring him up at this point. Like I'm not going to suggest who they necessarily bring down. I mean... I've seen a lot of Blue Jays Twitter panic, but well, pretty much when everybody pitches, but eventually you got to have your best guys up here. And if Nate Pearson is one of your best guys in this organization, I do think that he has to be up here at one point. I mean, there's only a certain amount of guys that they can rely on late. And how fitting is it that Mark comes in <laughs> at the time when we're talking about Nate Pearson? Um, oh, Mark, no. We're, I gotta we're... go, guys. <laughs> We were just touching on basically the only first, I mean, only game one so far. We talked about just this weird trend with the starters in terms of first inning ERA. Kevin Gosman was the latest casualty of that. And of course, we were, Jacob, I gave Jacob a chance to talk about the Anthony Bass situation with the popcorn. He did not want to take the bait. Maybe you will. 
And basically uh, how that's allowed a guy like Zach Pop to move up in terms of higher leverage because of Bass has been struggling. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he's moved up because of the popcorn situation. I think it's just a coincidence <laughs> that that's happening at the same time. But I mean, yeah, Zach Pop has been really impressive. His outing last night aside, he's worked himself into a high leverage situation. And that's obviously beneficial for the Blue Jays. But yeah, it does beg the question of where does a guy like Nate Pearson go if he's pushing the envelope down in AAA? So it well, is an well, interesting well. question to follow as we progress through the season and I don't know how the Blue Jays solve it I mean in actuality they probably solve it with an injury like I'm really surprised knock on wood that we haven't got that yet but I think that may be coming because that seems to be the trend with baseball and it seems like almost guaranteed that that's going to happen at some point so I think that's probably in reality the solution to this situation (laughs) but yeah Zach Pop has been pitching very well and Nate Pearson has been pushing the envelope and the Blue Jays don't have a lot of space to um, put guys right now. Absolutely. And I guess from that point, we can pretty much focus on game two now. And of course, Chris Bassett was the one uh, who took the mound in game two. And it was really pretty much the best game of the series for this team in terms of how they played in game two. And uh, Chris Bassett, basically other than that first start in St. Louis, he's really put together an improvement and he's starting to pitch. He's been pitching a lot better since. And of course at this start, uh, he pretty much, it was his best outing of this uh, as a Blue Jays so far. He goes six plus inning, striking out five. I think it's safe to say we're past any sort of concerns with Bassett. Maybe not completely from you guys, but I mean, I think from us or from my standpoint, we're past most of that. And it was really good to see him pretty much be effective as well in game two, basically coming a day after what happened with Kevin Gosman. So I think that part of Chris Bassett starting to perform and pretty much coming off his best start of, as a Blue Jay. I think that was really beneficial, of course, in what was the best game of the series for the Blue Jays. Oh, yeah. I mean, to be fair, like he was great with the Mets last season. I think, was it, I think it was the Angels game or there was one game where his pitch comm was not necessarily working that well. I have zero concern about Chris Bassett. Like they brought him in. I think that realistically, you talk about what Ross Stripling was able to do last season. <laughs> I do think that Chris Bassett is kind of like that Ross Stripling replacement. So I have zero concern about him. Like what he's shown, he can get out of out of jams. And I mean, the Astros, like we said with um, with game one, they're a good team. This is not a just barely squeak by a bad team type of uh, type of series. He he pitched against a very good team, and we'll talk about Barrios later. Like th- so, if he's able to get out outs like this against premier hitters, then I think that it shows that yeah, game one was just a a bit of a fluke, and I mean even game two, like I said, with the whole pitch comp thing. So zero worries for Chris Bassett. I think that he will settle into this. And to be fair, this is now what I think his fourth start, if I'm not mistaken. So. We're going through that fourth turn of the rotation for uh, for everybody. I think at this point, it's time to say that, yeah, people are settling into what they truly are with, I guess, maybe the exception of Alec Manoa because he's definitely struggling. But the rest of the of the rotation, I think it is fair to say that, yeah, like now that we're two, three weeks into the season, it is a lot easier to just pump the brakes a little bit. And say even with the hitters, too. I mean, I guess there's a few hitters that had rough, rough series this uh, in Houston, but... I think that it's time that we can sort of start to actually judge the team based off of what it is expected to be. Because, I mean, you can't really say that uh, Chris Bass is going to be bad after that one start. Uh, He looked he looked quite good. And I mean, obviously, he was uh, just making sure. Yeah, he did get that quality start. So get a quality start against a quality team. I think that there's nothing, uh, nothing more that you can ask for. And they got the win, too, which was good. 
Yeah, I think the most encouraging thing for me is that he's finally figured out pitch calm. I think like that to me was the issue in the first couple outings. And that's what was frustrating. And the fact that he hadn't figured it out in spring training and the Blue Jays hadn't really figured out what they wanted to do with pitch calm with Chris Bassett in spring training. But I mean, in the start against the Astros, he was totally in command in terms of pitch calm. Like he was walking around, he would throw a pitch, walk around the mound. He would be calling it as he was walking around the mound. He would get to the mound and be throwing the pitch with two or one seconds left on the pitch clock. And it was working perfectly. And I think what the first few starts of the season were about was about finding that pace, finding that consistency, that system with the pitch calm so that they can get to that point where he is in a rhythm and comfortable with what he's calling and also calling just good effective pitches that are attacking the hitter properly. And so I think now that he's figured that out, we're going to get what we expected of Chris Bassett, which is not an ace by any means, but someone who's going to be in the middle of the rotation, someone who's going to be pitching consistent innings and eating innings for the Blue Jays and be able to be a third or fourth starter, depending on where everyone else falls and then shakes out. So I'm encouraged with that. I'm happy that it seems like they finally figured out what the issue was in those pitch count. And it's weird because now he's working with Alejandro Kirk, which was not something that happened in the spring. But like you said, Mark, he's got the routine where he pitches. He's got the little pitch calm on his belt now. So he's clicking the button before he gets to the mound. He knows what he's going to throw. So I think that's obviously very important that he's got his routine there. And of course, offensively as well, uh, it turned out good for the Blue Jays. I mean, Matt Chapman homers again uh, that we talked about all season being the team's hottest hitter. Of course, I I remember, Mark, you actually brought this up um, about last week, basically saying, should pretty much Matt Chapman be moved up to that permanent cleanup spot? We haven't seen that yet when there's a righty pitching on the mound. Uh, Perhaps my opinion may have changed and maybe siding with you a little bit now in terms of that might be something that permanently needs to get done, but we still have not seen that yet. And of course, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. hits a home run as well, something that he hasn't done uh, over the past couple of weeks. Of course, there was also a really weird sequence in the game where there was a hit and run with Brandon Belt and Whit Merrifield who hit it. And of course, Belt advanced to third from that from first to third, which was probably one of the most random plays I think we've seen this season thus far. And then of course, Espinal was able to bring him home, uh, Brandon Belt from third base. So that was pretty, pretty impressive and pretty weird in terms of what happened with that offensively. And I mean, it's just something where Santiago Espinal, again, a slow start to the year. He homers in game one, gets a big hit in game two with the weird sequence of Brandon Belt moving on the pitch, which was definitely interesting. Bo Bichette had a good single as well. So I guess where I'll go back to, Mark, I know your stance on this, but if you want to add to it, go ahead. And of course, Jacob and I were the ones who were against this at first in terms of, is it time for Matt Chapman to permanently be that cleanup guy, even when there's righties on the mound? Because of course, Dalton Varsho hasn't exactly been playing well uh, offensively the last couple of uh, pretty much of weeks now. I mean, I think yesterday uh, was one of his first extra base hits pretty much since that, at that point, at the beginning of the season. So Jacob, I'll ask you first, has your stance changed on Matt Chapman permanently being the cleanup spot or being the cleanup hitter now? No. And the only reason why is just straight up matchups. I mean, well, here's the thing. You asked about it permanent. I'm not saying he won't hit cleanup at times. For the time being, yeah. Yeah. I... I'm going to still say no. I think that there is wow. uh, okay. there is still value in this flexibility. And I mean, Dalton Varsha, was it 0 for 14 or 0 for something? Like, he, he went on that long 0 for streak. So, other than that, like, not fully worried. Like, he is, I mean, I think we should remember he's not like a huge hit for average guy. Like, he will hit you your home runs and your doubles and whatnot. But he's not here to hit. 280 300 something like that and I mean even if Matt Chapman does that that's definitely a, a, a massive plus but I'm still gonna stay with the fact that I think that it is better just 
break up that big stretch of, of righties with a lefty. Cause you got to remember that's essentially what they brought him and Kevin Kiermaier in to do. And even Brandon belt, like you look at last season it was, you, you would have a line above entirely right-handed batters. So I still do like this, this idea of having a lefty just break up your, your, your top hitters, your power hitters up with a lefty. But if there is a situation where it makes more sense to have Matt Chapman in the cleanup spot, then yeah, you can use it. Yeah, my opinion on this hasn't changed. I still think Matt Chapman needs to be in that four spot. Like, I don't understand why you would give more at-bats to someone who is colder in terms of giving those at-bats to Dalton Varsho. Like, Dalton Varsho is a good hitter, but he's going to be streaky. And that's what we know about him. That's what he was in Arizona. That's what he's going to be with the Blue Jays. He showed that he was off to a good streak to start the season. He's gone cold now. Okay, make adjustments. Put Matt Chapman into the cleanup spot reliably. Like, I don't want to be in a situation like take last night's game, for example. I know we're not there yet in the podcast, but if we're talking about last night's game where you have none out, bases loaded, you have Springer come up, you have Bo come up, you have Laddie come up. If one of those guys gets on base, you're walking yourself into a situation where you have Dalton Varsho coming up, who's on this, whatever it was, over 14 streak or whatever, instead of Matt Chapman, who is one of the hottest hitters, if not the hottest hitter in baseball. And I don't want to be in that situation. I want to give those at-bats to Matt Chapman. So I think in terms of that, to me, it's you can't argue it any other way. I think Matt Chapman has to be getting those at-bats, regardless of righty-lefty. When Matt Chapman is a hotter hitter, Matt Chapman has to get those at-bats. No debate. And I think my opinion is uh, definitely changed uh, from what you were saying, Mark. I mean, it's changed because of the fact that, yes, Varsha has been struggling, but it's also really much of a bigger factor for me because Matt Chapman's continuing to do this. I mean, he's already somebody who's benefited from moving up in the order already. Again, on opening day, he was like the seventh or the eighth hitter. So if you can move him up one more spot, get him some extra at-bats, uh, I think that's pretty much going to help him uh, in terms of being that guy. And he's been, he's still on a hot streak. I mean, he is just leading baseball basically in almost every category. It is insane what he's doing. Of course, he's playing good defensively as well. He had that nice diving play um, in one of the games as well. So I think we're at that point where maybe it also helps Varsho in terms of a little bit of pressure is taken off of him that he moves down a spot of course like we we all know exactly what you guys were talking about in terms of what we're getting into with Dalton Varsho and I think just because Matt Chapman's earned it um it shouldn't be too much longer in my opinion either until that's kind of a move that's permanently done so we'll see on that but of course the most interesting game and the most frustrating game of the series at the same time is pretty much what we're going to move on to now um Interesting because of the fact that Jose Barrios was the only bright spot about that yesterday. And of course, frustrating because, Mark, you gave a hint at it in terms of what happened offensively all game long, especially late in the game. I don't, I, I don't, I still don't understand what happened with that. But I guess we'll start with the good stuff with Jose Brios and pretty much the one I'm most interested to see from you guys in terms of what I'm going to ask you. And of course, I think you guys know what I'm going to ask you. But basically, again, the only bright spot of that game yesterday, he goes seven innings allowing two and runs, strikes out three. And it feels like this was another stepping stone in terms of Jose Burrios getting his confidence back. We know how the last start ended, ended pretty much getting the comebacker off his knee. He comes back into today or the game last night, and he goes seven innings, going a little bit deeper into the game, of course, building that confidence back. So the most important question uh, that I can't wait to hear what you guys say, because I actually don't know what you're going to say to this, is are you sold on the Jose Burrios comeback yet, yes or no? Here's the thing. <laughs> I want one more start before I'm sold on him. And it would be, if I'm not mistaken, against the White Sox. I think he'd probably get the first or second game against the White Sox. So I want one more start. Um, 
I definitely am more sold on it than I was uh, last episode or whenever the last time we talked about him. Uh, he, he pitched well. Like, let's be real here. Again, we talked about um, about Chris Bassett in the last uh, or in the second game of the series. This is a good Astros team, and he dominated them. I mean, seven innings. His pitch count, he had like a five-pitch inning at one point. I think he could have easily gone two more. Like, he could have had a complete game at, at that rate. And I mean, I, I highly doubt they do it, but... I mean, who knows? Maybe it could have changed the outcome of the game. But, I mean, he he had a fantastic outing. And, I mean, if you're Jose Barrios, again, two straight outings of just pure dominance against uh, against uh, Houston and Tampa Bay. Yeah, he struggled early on. But, again, he is doing a lot a, a lot of better things. And it's just straight up he's lit, not allowing a lot of damage. I mean, yeah, there was the two uh, earned runs. I think it was in the second inning where it was the, a base hit and then the home run. But other than that, like he was untouchable. I mean, obviously the the, the uh, three hits he had one walk, only three strikeouts. So it's not like he was whiffing by guys, but he's doing what he was expected to do: just get through the game, give your team a chance to win. And we'll discuss it later. But they obviously fell off the rails uh, at the very end of the game. But if you're Jose Brios, like this is not your loss. I mean, he wasn't charged with the loss, but he, you know what I mean. Like if you if you're looking at it. This oh wait no he was charged with the loss never mind uh, it was two to one when when um, never mind yeah okay so I forgot they didn't end up tying it but yeah no so even though you are charged with the loss this is not your loss this is your team did not bail you out and then your bullpen let you down so I'm I'm very very confident I would say I'm like ninety percent confident in saying that he's turned things around but I I just want one more start before I can say he's back because obviously this this was his fourth start so I mean two bad starts now two good starts. Just give me one more start, and then we'll see how he, he performs. I am 100% confident he is back. I am buying the Jose Burrio stock right now. Okay, so look at his season so far. You talk about his first start, Kansas City, train wreck. Eight earned runs, 5.2 innings, absolute train wreck. Second start, Los Angeles, he improves. Four innings, four and in runs. Third start against the Tampa Bay Rays, absolutely phenomenal. Five innings, one earned run. He looks great. After that outing, he was talking about the adjustments he had made. He was slowing down his changeup, making sure he wasn't tipping his changeup by slowing it down, and he was moving it lower in the zone where it was more effective. And this series, we saw the results of that, I think. Seven innings, two earned runs. I think he's made the adjustments. I think he has had a little bit of momentum now that's going on his side, and we talk about that all the time, the stepping stones, the momentum that he needs to get going. He's got it all season. You look at him start by start by start. He's improving. And so I'm really encouraged with what we've been seeing from him. I think he's back. I think he's got his confidence back. I think they figured out what the issue is. I think they solved his changeup. I think he is back. I'm 100% buying the Jose Burrio stock. I might regret this in the future, but I think he is on fire and I think he's back. I'm glad you said it because I'm pretty close to that point as well. I mean, definitely you want to see it a couple more times, but... It's just the fact how he's leaving these starts with something to build on. And that's why I'm happy that he went seven innings and that that's it yesterday. Just because you don't want to take any more risk of something bad happening. And then you're kind of back to square one. So that was important for me. The other thing that I found very important was the fact, of course, that bottom of the second inning. So basically, for me, he didn't even, it wasn't even really struggling. I thought it was just three bad at-bats, pretty much what happened. He hits Jeremy Pena, David Hensley walks, and then Jake Myers hits a double. And after that, it went back to pretty much Jose Brios cruising. So the thing with him and what we've seen pretty much throughout last year, and even, I guess, parts of this year in his first couple starts, is that when he makes these mistakes, 
the entire outing falls apart for him. So the, when he got out of that second inning, you know, a little bit, I personally was a little bit nervous in terms of how he was going to respond. But of course, he came out and responded. And I think that was one of the biggest parts about that because if this was last season, it might have just been something where the Astros would have continued to build up on pretty much what was going on with Barrio. So that was um, pretty much important for me that he was able to do that. I mean, we talked, of course, Mark, you were talking about the changes he made. And of course, with his pitch selections, I mean, he's relying on his slurve and sinker the most now. He's mixing in his fastball here and there, which I think is really good, despite the concerns that come from people about that. I think if you're picking the right sequence and the selection location, all that, I think it's good that you can mix that in there as well. And of course, you mentioned the changeup that he's also starting to ma- or pretty much throw a little bit more than I guess he used to in terms of pitch selection rates and all that. So I think the fact that he's found a new kind of approach with the slurve and sinker. I think it's helping him. It's helping his confidence. And it's really unfortunate because of what happened yesterday that he was charged with the loss. And I think that was pretty much one of the biggest pet peeves of mine is that he puts up a start like that. And of course we can get into the offense now pretty much of what happened. So we know <laughs> I I'm still baffled at the fact that the bases were loaded with nobody out and a run didn't come in. I'm also more baffled at the part that they couldn't get to Luis Garcia at all throughout the game. And this is a guy who's been struggling as well. I mean, he came in with pretty much a similar ERA to Jose Barrios. It was north of seven. Of course, it's inflated, yes. And of course, Garcia is a better pitcher than that. But the point is, is that he hasn't been able to figure it out at all this year until last night, it seems like. So that happened with that, of course. They get into the bullpen around the eighth inning, and that's when you kind of had a little bit more optimism. But I mean, I guess I'll let you guys take it away from here in terms of having the bases loaded with nobody out. And just not failing to to score one run to tie the game the only good thing is george springer did hit a very hard ball at uh, alex bregman he had a rough series though like oh for he buy a hit yeah over yeah. 13 i think in game one what did he have like a thousand thir- or 1300 total feet in deep flyouts or something like that so brutal brutal series from him not the return to houston uh, that i think he wanted but it, it was just you can't like you're the bottom of your order did exactly what it needed to do get on base i know um houston had some bullpen problems in that uh in the, in that inning but they get on base you can't drive a single run home like it's man it's tough i guess the only positive i can take away from it uh, somebody in our discord rocket man commented uh on the game uh just briefly what they said was you know jose brios was fantastic and the big five bit the top five of the order they're not going to go one for 19 every game or you know most games so it's not like this is a replicable thing like you do have some of the premier hitters in baseball but man it's tough to go up have the bases loaded nobody out not score and then give up six runs in the bottom half of that inning like it just completely sucked the life out of them and then they were out of it I mean at that point it's okay we'll just we'll you know we'll go to uh, we'll head off to New York and then just pray that things are a little bit better but it's just that that, that can't happen like we talk about it, I think it was in the Tiger series, uh, whoever it was, I can't remember, somebody was just walking everybody, walking the bases loaded, um, I think it was in the second game, where they ended up walking it off, but um, yeah, they didn't really get that big hit, they had two sack flies, but still, they were able to at least capitalize and get some runs, like, you just needed one to tie it, and it's a whole different ballgame, you put in your your different set of relievers, I mean, you still have the top of the order up, but that stuff can't happen. Like if you want to win this type of game and you want to win games like this against good teams deep in the season, you need to be able to take advantage of opportunities. And they just, they couldn't, it was a tough game all around. I mean, Brios pitched well. I know the final score is not going to look great. I mean, it was what, uh, eight to one. So it doesn't look great at all, but with the exception of 
really the first seven innings, it was a close game. And even really the seven and a half innings, because they almost tied it. But it's just, everything fell off the rails at that point. And it's just, it's one of those things where you just have to forget about it. Like, there's nothing you can do other than just pray that that doesn't happen again and move on to the next game. It was a really frustrating inning. And I don't know if I have anything else to add. But the thing I will nitpick on is the automatic called strike on Boba because I thought that was really, really dumb. And I think this is an issue. Yeah, there was a lot in that game. Uh, But I think this is an issue we've seen so far in the season where I recognize the need to call automatic strikes and balls during at-bats. But I think between at-bats, there needs to be more time allowed for moments to breathe. Because in the at-bat prior to Boba at-bat, we had George Springer who lined out to, it was Alex Bregman playing third at the time. He lined out to Bregman. It's this big moment, bases loaded. We get the replays of the play that Bregman make, the good base running by Whit Merrifield to not get doubled up there. We get George Springer's reaction. And then all of a sudden we snap back into gameplay and Bobuchet is getting a called strike because he isn't in the box soon enough. I think we need to let those moments breathe right we're celebrating the the point of these rules is to celebrate the action in baseball and accelerate the action and bring the action more to the forefront of what we're watching but when that action happens we can't just blow past it because the game continues we need to let moments breathe a little and give it more time to settle and then we move on to the next step at think of what it would be like to be in the ballpark during that moment one moment in the ballpark i think it was during the home opener when alejandro kirk hit his home run, and then very next moment, the guy's got to be in the box after him. And it's kind of frustrating to watch as a fan when you want to celebrate, you want to breathe, you want to take a deep breath, but you're not allowed to as a fan because of this pitch clock. So I think more time needs to be given between at-bats, especially in big moments, to let moments breathe. I like the pitch clock within at-bats, but I think between at-bats, need to let it breathe a little but yeah, leaving the bases loaded when you walked into that situation with none out with the top of the order coming up, unacceptable, can't happen again. Let's pray it doesn't. Yeah, Mark, I don't know if you saw it too, but there was a similar thing, but it wasn't the Jays. It was the Cubs and Dodgers. Cody Bellinger goes back to LA. He gets a standing O. He acknowledges the fans. He gets called for the automatic strike. I mean, there that, needs to be room yeah. for heart in all of this. Like, use your brain and realize that people yeah. are not here to watch the umpire call an automatic strike. People are here to watch those big moments. Yeah, just like in certain situations like that, I, I do agree that the umpire needs to have some leeway with that. So that's frustrating. And Jacob, you mentioned it a bunch of times yesterday. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. also had an automatic strike called on him. And that was, I believe, pretty much earlier in the game. It might have been his first at bat. He was called out strike three because of that. So. We saw that a lot yesterday in Game 3, of course, more than usual than we've seen this series. And it just, for me, too, after failing to capitalize, of course, in the bottom of the eighth inning, it's kind of like, it's, it just feels like the Jays got punished from, like, the baseball gods of pretty much what happened the next inning. I mean, the Astros, a six-run eighth inning pretty much off of Zach Pop and Adam Simber. It just, it's, what a way to, what a way to end the game, what a way to end the series. And, of course, pretty much overall, I mean, it didn't start, it good it didn't end good but of course that middle game was really good and of course Chris Bassett and Jose Burrios pitched really well so that's something to look forward to so I think we've pretty much covered enough about this past series and of course it's now our time and Mark you're back for this thank goodness uh back for the series predictions this or this upcoming weekend in New York Jacob I'll let you go first in terms of your series predictions against the Yankees I believe also I believe all three of us were basically 
all incorrect in terms of this past series, in terms of picking a J series win. So that's something to account for, Mark, as well, with the updated standings at some point. But pretty much all of us are trying to get back on track this weekend. Yeah, I mean, the Yankees and Blue Jays kind of similar. They've played um, one less game, so the Blue Jays have the off day today, um, or yesterday if you're listening to this on Friday. But um, Blue Jays have a good set of pitchers going. They have three aces. They have Yusei Kikuchi. Alec Manoa and uh, Kevin Gosman. I can't believe I said that with a straight face, but um, <laughs> it'll. I think they'll they easily take two out of three here. I mean, we talk about Alec Manoa not on on pace for a good season so far, or at least not starting it good. But he pitches well in Yankee Stadium. Kevin Gosman, like I said at the beginning of the episode, there's no way that what happened last start is anywhere close to what he's gonna do again. Uh, and then you say Kikuchi again. Saw him on Saturday against the Rays. He's pitching well, and especially against good teams. So. I don't see why they, I'm not going to say they sweep, but I don't know how they don't take the first two, potentially lose that last one. Here's the thing. I think they'll take two out of three, but it's like, I I think, yeah, two out of three, but if I had to put money on it, I I think that the first two, and then they just avoid the sweep. I'm going to go two to three as well. Uh, I'll say they lose the Kikuchi game. I'm high on Kikuchi. I think he'll have a good start, but I think the Yankees might figure something out against him. Like, I don't know. I think he's he's been too good the last few starts to put that much faith in him. So I think he's going to have a little blip on the radar, like maybe three or four runs allowed in five or six innings. And I think the Blue Jays will lose that one and then win the Manoa and Gosman starts. It's tough, too, because it's not official in terms of the Yankees starters this weekend, but I believe pretty much after looking... On Saturday, it is, as scheduled right now, unless things are changed, it is set up to be Alec Manoa versus the king of the Audi sign, Garrett Cole. And of course, Garrett Cole has been off to a terrific start this season. So I think that's pretty much the only starter where I know for sure is pitching for New York this series. I'll say two out of three like you guys, but I'll say that they lose uh, the start against uh, when it's Alec Manoa versus Garrett Cole. Not because I think Manoa is going to pitch bad, just because I think Garrett Cole has been off to a really good start. And of course... All eyes will be on Alec Manoa. Jacob, you talked about it. He's pitched well at Yankee Stadium, but we haven't seen this version of Alec Manoa who's been struggling. I mean, everything's off pretty much with him right now. He's got to fix a lot of stuff. And at some point, I think we're all confident he will get back to that point. And what way? What better way for him to get back on track against the Yankees at Yankee Stadium? And of course, Kikuchi on Friday. And then Gosman's also going to be looking for a bounce back start on Sunday. So we're all in pretty much in agreement of two out of three, just different in terms of who's winning which game. But of course, another reminder before we wrap things up, Friday night is the Apple TV game uh, for the Jays. So that's a reminder to everybody that it will not be on Sportsnet. You have to pretty much go to Apple TV or whatever it is and pretty much whatever they do with that nonsense there. But I think that covers everything. We'll wrap it up from there. <laughs> Jacob, I can see you shaking your head. As always, I you can score our podcast. Oh, my God. Oh, they're brutal. They are brutal. We talked about it a lot last year. So I saw something where... I think this year you have to get a subscription now. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure I saw a change this year. So I know last year I I don't subscribe to it, but I have just like but last year you just needed yeah an last year yeah. It was yeah. free. you just huh. need an Apple ID. Well, I mean it'll be free for a lot of people if they know what sites to look on. We don't support that, but we're not telling no, you not to do it I'm, either. I'm just so, yeah, we're just gonna <laughs> leave it at that. But of course, as always, you can support our podcast with the links below on our social media and below this episode. From there, you can check out YouTube, our buy us a coffee, and our Discord from all our Discord from all of from there and of course a big weekend coming up for the Jays the Jays and the Yankees Alcman versus Garrett Cole will be back on Sunday and I believe we're hoping Mark can be back to fulfill his regular hosting duties we'll catch you then